Welcome back to another episode of Present Company, On the Road, the segment where I take you on the road to some of the biggest film events in the country. Today, I'm at the 48th annual Telluride Film Festival, located at 9,000 feet in the mountains of Colorado. I'm about to sit down with Maggie Gyllenhaal to talk about her feature directorial debut, The Lost Daughter. Maggie Gyllenhaal, it is such an honor to have you here. It's It's such a pleasure. Thrilling for me. Having known you and followed your career, you know, as a as a fan and a spectator, and obviously knowing Jake and just the fact that you when I saw that you were making your directorial debut, your first feature really, I did I want to shout out actually. My listeners understand how I bounce around, but I want to shout out the short film that you made during COVID because I thought that was excellent. So I would say to all of you listening now, you have to go to Netflix and see these series of shorts. They were so clever, so well done about everyone's interpretation of what was happening during COVID. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the whole series. And- I mean, that was Pablo Larraín, whose film I just saw last night. I have to say, I made a point of going to see his beautiful movie because kind of out of nowhere. I mean, I was in pre-production for this, but he just said, will you write something? You have 10 days and make this film. And then, and and for me, it was like a experiment. It was like a practice run. Mm -hmm. And, and then he just supported me all the way through this. He watched an early cut of, of my film. So yeah, that was really my first time. It's true. But here we are, the lost daughter and it is, um, it, premiered at Venice. It's now here at Telluride. The reviews feel like, this feels like I'm witnessing a kind of once in a lifetime experience or that lightning in a bottle, as they say. And I just want to check in with you. <laughs> How are you feeling about I'm it? I'm like on the moon. I, I, I went to Venice. I realized now the whole time until my film screened and I was there for a few days. I made it a point to go for a few days, see some other films. I saw Almodovar's film. I saw Jane Campion's film. I mean, those are two of the directors I most revere in the world. But I kind of realized now I was like holding my breath the whole time I was there. I wasn't really there. And also I realized that I had never seen my film with an audience before because of COVID, we couldn't have screenings. So I had sent it to people who I cared about and who I respected, but I'd never seen it in a room full of people. Olivia Coleman had never seen it. Dakota Johnson had never seen it. And I also realized just before I went in that although, of course, I had heard my final mix and worked on it for a very long time and I had seen my final colored picture, I had never seen them together. So it was a, it was like, it was wild. It was, I don't actually really totally have words for it. And then since it played, we just have been moving and it's just, I felt so vulnerable and my movie was born, you know, and no one had seen it before. It's like a birth. It's like this couple of days after a birth when you're Mm -hmm. in ecstasy. Yeah. That's how it feels right now. (laughs) So great. That's so great. And it, it, I mean, it's just, the reviews have been phenomenal and it's in one thing I can't stop thinking about is how confident the filmmaking is. And that struck me because you've always struck me as someone that's super confident and sometimes, (laughs) Sometimes. but sometimes even intimidating, like in confidence. Right. But yet 
because you're an artist, there's also this layer of vulnerability mixed with it. It's this like vulnerability meets brutality, kind of like you're mm. in this energy. Mm. But for a first time director, the confidence in which you directed this film was kind of staggering. Mm. And it was the first thing when I saw it at Netflix, right? Uh, when they were like, we're going to, you know, what do you think? We're going to, you know, we're trying to pick up this movie. And I was just like, God, I watched it once and then I watched it again. Really? And it, yeah. And it was just the experience I had. I was just like kind of blown away because the first time I wanted to see it as a, just fresh. And then I wanted to see it thinking like I was assuming you were thinking like, what is she doing here? Like, where are we going? Like, it was great. So I want to talk about that confidence because it's got to be scary to direct a movie, let alone your first one, let alone in COVID. Mm. And you assemble this incredible cast. So can you just talk me through a little bit about your process and how you push through at every turn? Well, I mean, I guess to go to the very beginning, people have been asking me over the past few days, like, is, is this what I want to keep doing? And you know, will I also be acting and things like that? And I, I think I do love acting, but I, I think I realized that I've always kind of been a director secretly in my own mind and that I just didn't, I really didn't even allow myself, I didn't feel entitled to even consider that. And I do think that has something to do with the culture we live in, the world we live in. Like when I was young, there were a couple of incredible women making movies. Jane Campion is definitely one of them and someone who I continue to, I mean, have the hugest admiration for. But there weren't very many. And I think in some ways, if you were a storyteller, if you're like a lover of movies and you were a woman, uh, I'm sure this is not true for everyone. But for me, in some ways, I was like, I'm an actress. That's what mm -hmm. I do. And I have always been an actress with an, um, an ear toward some art something bigger artistically, like, like, okay, but well, why are we making this movie? And why did this movie come to me now? And what are we exploring? And But I do think, to go to the very beginning, that something about playing Candy on the deuce and letting myself imagine that I was a director is actually the thing that opened my heart to it. And then in poured, I mean, I was like, I just, as soon as I allowed myself to imagine it, to consider it, I couldn't stop. I had been reading this, these Ferrante books. I mean, stop me if I'm going into no, too I much love detail. I, yeah. I mean, interrupt me though. Cause I, yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. I keep saying to Peter, I'm like, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be cool. I'm not going to talk too much about my film. <laughs> like I can't stop. I have so much. I'm not very cool. Well, I think to... it is interesting because what I want to talk about too with, with the Ferrante novel is why that novel and kind of, and then you're like, wait, 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 I'm going to I'm to adapt this. Right. So I, my mind had been open to the possibility of directing and, you know, I've always been somebody who, who understands my own thoughts and ideas through writing. I'm, I don't write journals or diaries, but like if I have a really important email I need to write or a, a speech to give or something, I figure out what I feel about it by writing it down. So that's always been something that's helped me. I and mean, I'd been reading Ferrante and I had been feeling in this kind of like a shocking way, like she was saying things out loud that nobody was talking about. Yes, about motherhood, but also about just generally being a woman in the world, sexually, intellectually, artistically. 
and so many fantasies of the way that we're, we, we, you know, we're depicted around ourselves all the time. Oh, this is how women feel about sex. This is how women feel about their work. This is how women feel in relation to motherhood. These are like the images we're seeing of ourselves offered to us and they don't feel quite right. You're like, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me because that's not exactly how I feel about any of these things. Whereas Ferrante, I would read her and it really would take my breath away. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that out loud. Mm -hmm. And I've said before, but the, the feeling of reading Ferrante for me was like, oh my God, this woman, this book is so fucked up. And then like a millisecond later, oh no, I really relate to her. <laughs> and so then what? Am I so fucked up? Or is this some kind of communal experience that many, many people have that we aren't talking about? And then I thought, what if instead of having that feeling alone with a book in your room, what if you had it in a movie theater full of people where you're sitting next to another woman you don't know having that feeling mm -hmm. or your husband or your mom or your daughter? Mm -hmm. What a kind of, what a kind of thrilling, radical thing to try to create, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that was why I wanted to do the adaptation. Then if I'm walking through it, then I had to get the rights. Mm -hmm. And I wrote to her and took me, her, her publisher was very encouraging. She, her, the only people who know who she is are these two people, husband and wife who run this publishing house. And we reached out to them and they said, we think that they thought that she and I would make a good team, <laughs> which was already like enough for me in yeah. a way. So I spent a long time writing this letter to her to appeal for the rights. And she gave them to me. I asked her for the rights to adapt it and also to direct it. And she said in response to my letter, she said, yes, but this contract is void if you don't direct it. So there you go. I mean, which was also like a, you know, because nobody knows who she is, but to me, and again, I have no insider information, but there's no doubt in my mind that she's a woman. Mm -hmm. My fantasy, I guess, is she's a woman in her 70s. I don't know. It felt as if this wise woman from like across the universe was offering me her support, you know. And then I did the adaptation and I loved that. I do feel like adapting a book into a screenplay is a similar process. I think I told you this when we were on that call a long time mm -hmm. ago. It didn't occur to me until much later, but that it's kind of a similar process as an actor taking a text and, and looking at it and going, okay, here are the words, here are the lines. These are two people, you know, ordering a sandwich together at a deli counter. But what, what's the essence of it? What purpose does it serve inside the story? Is it, is it a come on? Is it an apology? Mm -hmm. What is the purpose of it? And that's the same thing in the book. Okay, here's this little section. So what, why this section? What is the point of it? And then how do you, how do you then distill it into something that's, that's, cinematic. And this film is so cinematic. It's so cinematic. It's a thriller. It's a psychological drama. It's a family. And like, and I, I was talking to uh, Dakota about it too. It's like at every turn I could see every woman's POV, which I loved. And I mm. kept me so engaged um, and shocked, shocked 
at times. When were um, you shocked? Oh my God. Well, I don't want to spoil no, don't it. Okay, spoil but I had a, I'll tell you later, but I had a couple of like shocked moments of like, wow, she's going there. And wow. And <laughs> yeah, we're here yeah. and yeah. what's happening. And yeah. I'm loving this, but it's, I, I don't even know what to feel, but I'm feeling a lot. Yeah. So, uh, and Olivia Coleman, obviously you're, she's the, you know, the, the woman that carries the film, but all the other, all the other parts have to fit together yeah. in order for her to work. Yeah. And I mean, obviously the actress is in, incredible. Like in your mind, when you were adapting this, did you feel, cause I know a lot of screenwriters write with actors in mind, to kind of get them through the thought of that voice. Did you write with her in mind at all? No, I didn't. I didn't write with anyone in mind. I had an imaginary Leda in my mind. And then when it got, got time to cast it, I thought this woman does these things that are really aberrant, like totally outside of what we consider acceptable. And then also she can be, well, there are times in which it's tough to be with her. And so I wanted to make sure, two things. I wanted to make sure I had an actress who was a little bit funny, like had a warmth to her, mm -hmm. had a beating heart inside her. Mm -hmm. Even though I think you find Leda at a point where she could just sort of slowly die and feel mm -hmm. like she's going to pass out all the time and barely sort of get more fragile and more mm -hmm. fragile and more fragile, less able to be alive in the world. Or she's just going to go down into the darkest places and come out the other side yep. and be alive, you know? And... um so I needed someone with a beating heart who had a, a, a who was funny too. Yeah, that's what I wanted. You know, mm -hmm. even though she's not technically funny, I mean, she does tell a couple of I she think does. pretty good dirty jokes yeah. in the movie. The other thing I needed, I knew for sure, was an actress who was sane, who was not crazy. Because, and I mean, whatever, we're all a little crazy, of course. And, and even some of the point of the movie is that we all feel sometimes like we're losing our minds. But if Leda is crazy and she does the things she does, then I don't understand why to make the movie really. Because the point, one of the points is to say, okay, like this is very, very difficult, but oh my God, I do relate to it. And, um, and so if she's crazy, we can indict her, we can judge her. And of course, we're going to try to do that anyway, keep it away from us. But mm -hmm. ideally, it's going to become impossible to keep it away from us. So that was, so then of course, I just was like, who, who are the handful of brilliant actresses, <laughs> you know? And I, and I wanted Olivia. I was so lucky that she responded to it. And at the same time, maybe I guess I felt again, kind of across the universe, like, I wonder if this might speak to you. You know, mm -hmm. she didn't, I didn't know her, mm -hmm. but it did. And she says, and she's right, that we had we sort of like met for lunch and we were both very nervous. I was very nervous. She says she was too. And we we're kind of having this really awkward conversation. And then we just started drinking. And um, in the middle of the day, it was 4th of July. She didn't really realize that like it was 4th of July and a difficult <laughs> yeah. time to have a lunch. Um, and my kids were at my mom's house. And, uh, and I'm having, I just get drunk at lunch and go home and, and she says yes. And she wants oh to do God. it. We totally relaxed. We talked about everything. And then I just got back. I got in bed at my mom's house and went to sleep because I just like drunk champagne all day, which is very unusual for me. 
Oh, that's so great. When you get to your set and you're directing, what was one of the most intimidating things you had to get over or one of the bigger challenges that you found at the helm? It's interesting. Uh, because I'm, I'm an actress and I've been on many, many sets, the actual shooting of the movie in some ways felt like the least scary part because I have... I've done that. It didn't feel, I mean, many things about it felt new, but many things didn't. And of course, if you are new at something, to be able to rely on experience is very helpful and very comforting. I would say during the shooting process, there was, I would say time, this thing of this like ticking clock of, you know, when you're writing, you take as much time as you need by yourself in your room. It doesn't quite work. You take a couple of days, you mull on it. You think, you know, but of course when you're shooting and it's a very small movie and of course we had, yeah, we had a short time. Um, that sometimes made me anxious, but mostly I would say when we were on the set, I was like in, I used to call it being like in the current. You could, I could hear the tone or the, the vibration kind of, of where the story needed to be told. And of course, there were times when you're kind of feeling around in the dark for where that is. And then it just, it just clicks into gear and you're like, we're in the current, we're in, we're there. And so mostly when I was on set, I was listening for that tone. And so the things that were the scariest were more like irrational kinds of Mm -hmm. fear, like, can I do this, you know, just fundamentally? And I think that the antidote for that really is like one thing at a time, one small thing at a time. Can I take on directing an entire movie in this moment? No, but can I move through the scene and think it through? And yes, I can. That's a good way to approach fear. Fear has been one of my subjects that I've been asking everybody about um, this season. I think it permeates an artist's being, you know, either the complete denial of it or the complete embrace of it. So it's interesting. The idea is overwhelming, but if you just like, let me just get through the day. Yeah. Or uh, to me, I felt like in that case, so much of the fear was a kind of irrational terror, which is what the movie's about too, you know, getting inside of those irrational terrors. And, but I didn't feel, I didn't feel it much when we were shooting. I was so focused. Focus is another Mm -hmm. antidote for anxiety and fear. I think once we got to post-production, the editing was like another entirely wild whole, you know, mountain to climb really one of my favorite parts of the process. Mm, Isn't that interesting? Putting it all together then, right? Yeah, Yeah. and shaking it down and also protecting this beautiful work that all of these actors had offered me. Because I've also been an actor and seen my work not be protected or be misunderstood, not be seen. I mean, Mm -hmm. I will say, I, I love good actors. I love watching them work. I could watch and did watch for months, every hour of every day, these incredible people working. Well, I should say, Jesse Buckley, incredible. Incredible. And the way way that you were able to 
shoot that those flashback scenes, it was so seamless and you understood exactly what was going on. They're like, oh, that's what's happening. Oh my God. And you see it playing out. Although they physically don't look alike, I felt like I was watching the same person. It was super clear to me that this was the same person. And it's so wild that that works because, and I think part of the reason it works, you know, basically Jesse Buckley and Olivia Coleman, two grown full women, total artistic powerhouses on their own, we're asking the audience to believe that they're the same person, which I think is such an interesting ask because of course they're not the same person. Mm -hmm. We know they're not the same person. You're watching a movie and these are, they're they're not. It's the same thing as um, Tony Kushner, you know, in the beginning of Angels in America, Mm -hmm. he says in the foreword, he says, let the wires show when the angel flies down or, you know, and, and when I saw Angels in America, when I was 14 in New York, all the actors in their outfits just come out and move the tables. Yeah. You know, they're sort of going like, we're not going to, I don't care if they're both have brown eyes. Or I even told Jesse, if you want to have bleach blonde hair, I don't mind. You don't have to look like her. We're just going to believe in our hearts that the, these women are having the same experience. And, and, and it's, I think it's really interesting that that works. Mm-hmm. Totally you know? works. And yeah. you, and you know, I've said this earlier, but the, and I said it to Dakota, the performance that you got from her was something I've... Dakota. Yeah, Dakota oh, Johnson. I was waiting I for, you know, who plays your her. Nina. I always knew she had that kind of like depth and what you were able to bring out in her. I thought it was just true. She was so good in this. I agree. And she basically came to me and said, um, I was, she didn't say it in these words, but this is how I think of it. She was basically like, I want to go scuba diving. Like, I want to go down to the bottom. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, let's go, <laughs> you know. And watching Dakota, because I will say just one other thing about Dakota is we um, we shot uh, her, all of her first stuff was all the stuff where Nina is being watched. I didn't work in a very intellectual way, but one kind of intellectual thing I wanted to experiment with trying was because she's being watched and she's so gorgeous, what if, we play with the kind of tropes of that kind of objectification, but the, the, the most interesting, compelling kind, you know, she's like, like Antonioni, like she's Monica Vitti, or she's a woman in a Godard film. We play with that. We just go, we just do it all the way. And then the shock is that here comes this woman who we've just been like, oh my God, she's so gorgeous. She's so interesting. She's so compelling from afar. And she comes and she opens her mouth (laughs) and she's starving and she has huge needs. Mm -hmm. And and she now all of a sudden is a human being. Mm -hmm. Like I was just really interested to see what would happen. And so for for Dakota, she started with all her scenes where she's just being objectified. Mm -hmm. And I think it was really painful for her. She was like, I came here to open my mouth, mm-hmm. to open my heart. Mm-hmm. And so the scene where she first does, where she comes over and, again, I won't give anything away, but it's that scene where she has that lovely part where she says, I, I like your bathing suit mm-hmm. to Olivia, yeah. um, uh, which of course means I love you, you know, yeah. or something else like, like that. Uh, we shot, I shot so much because it was finally Dakota getting to open her mouth mm-hmm. as Nina and express herself. Oh, and the tango they do, and it's just, it's scary, and yeah. it's normal, yeah, and yeah. oh, it's all good. You did such a great job, Maggie. Thank I you. mean, my God, awesome. Thank this you. This is so great. Is there is there some experience that during during that filmmaking that you think you'll take with you for the rest of your life? Is there is there something that you learned about yourself or some shot or something that you feel will be 
in the catalog of your mm. of your memory? I mean, or- there are so many. I mean, I one thing I really learned for sure. I think I I went in thinking this was probably true. I've worked on a lot of movies, like I said, as an actress. I've worked with directors who were full of love and interest in seeing me. And I've worked with, with directors who are brutal. And I know that there are some people who believe that brutality or withholding creates interesting work, but I'm not one of those people. I hired people in every department and all of my actors who I had a huge amount of respect for. And then I put so much of my focus toward seeing them and interacting with them and and actually loving them. And I do love them. It doesn't work if you fake it. It's like mm-hmm. the same with a boyfriend, you know, or like it's like it, it only works if it's real. But if it is real and you're really seeing somebody, you know, and loving them too, I think then you get to see this incredible thing um, of people changing and growing on camera or Mm -hmm. at work. And then you have a set that's like a fucking good time because, Mm -hmm. you know, like we all actually love each other and Mm -hmm. we're all actually trying to support each other. And we would all lay ourselves down for each other because, because yeah, because of, yeah, the way we were working. I would say one thing I remember, I'll just say one thing. Okay. We finished the shoot. It's, we're so tired. It's COVID. It's the end. It's Halloween. We finished at midnight on Halloween and I'm kind of like stunned. My kids have been on set. Peter's out of town. So like I have my babysitter there and it's there in our Halloween costumes. I'm trying to do everything at once. We finished this beautiful shot of Olivia when she's floating up in the Mm -hmm. car at the end. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of stunned for a while. It's COVID. We've all had masks on the whole time. And we go outside and sort of start to take our masks off. The shoot is done. And the sound, the sound guy who, we had such an interesting relationship, he and I, because he was like very by the books. And I was like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, I'm telling you, we're, we're, it's jazz, okay? Like, if we don't get every line these little girls say, like, it's all good. Like, roll with me. I promise we're fine. And so he got really into that. And at the end, he says, um, we have some music, my terrible Greek accent. We have some music and I put a song on, it's for you. And he takes me over to this spot where there's like a little speaker and he puts on talking heads once in a lifetime. And then everybody just started dancing. And we danced like in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of this island, having just finished this film for hours. I mean, I heard that they were still dancing when the sun came up. So that I will always remember. That's great. Once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. And you also got to work with your husband and direct him, and that had to be thrilling. And he's great. He's always good. When is he not good? Yeah. He's one of the the greatest. Yeah. That was amazing. I mean, (laughs) I think he's, like, one of the greatest. He is. In, you know, uh, he did exactly what I thought he was going to do, which is that he surprised me. He brought so much more to it than I you know, ever could have imagined. 
And, you know, as, as unusual, I think, as it is, you know, to have your husband doing really, really intimate, not just physically, because in some ways, Peter says something very true. Sex scenes and murder scenes are the least real parts of any kind of acting, you know, but the intimacy, the love, the desire, the hunger that I think Peter and Jesse and I created together, um, it took so, it took a kind of trust that we all really had. Like Jesse, who again, I will just say, I think is a brilliant actress, also feels like almost like a kind of sister to me. Mm-hmm. I really relate to the way she works, the way she is. We would fight, we laughed so many times I because we would that. finish work and then we would just both see that the other one had taken our, our you know, clothes off and we're swimming in our underwear in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I, I felt, Really, like we all, the three of us, created something really interesting together there. Yeah, no, it's a great little segment. And And the music in that segment. I love that music there. That's good. It's so great. It's so great. And I love the Hitchcockian nature to it. You can see just, I feel you like living through the film. So Mm. that was, that's great. And I'm thrilled to have you and thrilled to be a part of this like moment that's happening right now and enjoy it remember it embrace it and I will catch up with you on the other side (laughs) (laughs) of all of it but congratulations thank you thank you so much so good to see you thanks so much for joining me The Lost Daughter will be streaming on Netflix December 31st please subscribe rate and review this podcast wherever you've been listening you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith join me next time for more conversations here at Present Company